Hello again and welcome to the latest episode of OIC, the football podcast looking back at the season 1990-91. We've reached November 1990, a month that saw a 19-year-old entrepreneur called Spencer Trethery attempt a takeover at Aldershot Town, which turned out eventually to be very unsuccessful. Howard Kendall returned to Goodison Park as manager of Everton and Aston Villa went out of Europe uh, despite taking a 2-0 first leg league to the San Siro when they got knocked out by Inter. I'm Steve Mitchell and with me as always is the Football Pink editor Mark Goffrey. Hello everybody. He'll be talking about the TV shows at the time and what we were watching and what we were listening to a little bit later on in the show. We would also like to give a special welcome to this month's guest which is Stuart Roy Clark. He, he is one of he is one of the two men behind the wonderful book The Game, and he currently has an exhibition running at the National Football Museum up in Manchester. Hello, Stuart. Hello there. I'm also uh, I, just so you know, I'm no longer in the Lake District, anyone. I'm <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. There you go. <laughs> I'd like to start by congratulating you on the book because I think it's wonderful. I actually went to the exhibition myself, and it's it's fantastic and. If I may say so, it's, it would make a superb Christmas present to anyone who remembers sort of going to football around sort of late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, and a lot of the grounds people will, will have been to when they, when, they, when they obviously look at your book. So um, so I want to start, Stuart, really uh, yeah. just with your own personal memories of we're talking about November 1990. So the 1990-91 season, is there any sort of memories of anything that you were doing at that time that could sort of stand out um, that you'd just like to sort of tell us about? Well, absolutely. The The first full season of me doing The Homes of Football, which was going to be a lifelong mission to church the changing phase of the game. But when I say lifelong, I kind of said it would be definitely 10 years, and this was starting in 89-90. But um, I kind of had a feeling it would, it would go on beyond that, and it has. But um, what a season, because, as I say, it was the first full season for me doing it. So... In a way, although I'd been to many of the grounds and clubs as a fan, I hadn't really trained my camera on them and had the access that I was about to have. So it was like no other season for me. It really was. I, you know, The exhibition you speak of, if one looks at the dates, probably a third of the images are from that year. Mm. And that was because it was just discovering the wonderment of you know, Bolton Wanderers, uh, Bournemouth, whoever it was. Um, knowing also that things were about to change. So when you just read out those three things, how Kendall, Aston Villa, and one really stood out to me big was uh, Spencer Trithuri, all the shot, because I'd gone to the club in the summer of 1990 on the back of the World Cup, which I'd been to in Italy, Ooh. and the club was going under. And you kind of felt this could be the start of quite a lot of clubs going under because... Yeah, very quickly football was about to change. There was all this new impetus to, to put sort of money into it. But but with that, sort of kind of clean it up and do away with some of the old style of doing things. And so I felt clubs like Aldershot, you know, where you kind of walk to the ground over a tennis court and all things <laughs> like this, was prime suspect in this. It could go and it and it was about to. And and kind of in a way the the, the world's eyes or British eyes weren't on Aldershot in the summer of 90. They had be- bigger fish to fry. But then, um, as you've detailed, Spencer Trithuri came along and saved the day, apparently. <laughs> so I, I photographed him kind of down by the pitch side, on the stairs of the, of the kind of um, social club, etc., 
looking looking the part, you know, looking like the savior, much younger than the saviors usually are. They're usually a businessman who's waited in the wings for his turn to save the local club and he's got a bit of money. But here it was this kind of guy who had had flitted around the world in his short life and um, promised a lot. And he didn't really have much money and he didn't deliver and it all went sour. But, you know, Aldershot, albeit Aldershot Town, I think they're now called, are still going. And this is the story, to conclude my long opening sentence or statement, is that (laughs) from 1990, who would have believed, really, that all the clubs almost every single one Maidstone the lot uh, have survived and, mm. and if they you know maybe they've kind of lost a wheel and put one back on and, and rebranded slightly but I don't think we've had any casualties mm. it's incredible for a country you know so small with so mm. many football clubs mm. do, do, do you feel I know obviously having the advantage of having gone through the exhibition and seen the video that accompanies it up there in Manchester you mentioned obviously that the Hillsborough disaster was set, was the end of, of terrorism, was always going to be the end of, of football terracing really um, and was that the idea for the book because of what happened at Hillsborough and because you knew that grounds were probably going to as you said going to get demolished um, especially at the top level with the, when the Premier League started, uh, it came in in 93, I mean was this the inspiration for the book that you would go around and, and obviously photograph these stadiums before they sort of were lost forever? It was. In 84, I concluded a BA honours degree in film and photography at some posh uni in London. And uh, I kind of had visions of changing the world, you know, like everyone does, through my miserable photography of sort of street photography and black and white stuff. But the, but the real subject that I had a feeling for was right there in front of me, if only I could have realised it. I did five years later. But within that time, there was a few things that budged me on. Um, uh, Heisel and Bradford happening so close together, where I was working in a hotel. I never really had any other jobs apart from photography, but I tried my luck working in a hotel in Lake District, and the kind of owner were just flicking the channels and sort of doing down the people who had caused this thing to happen, you know, at Bradford. And I kind of thought, that ain't right for a start. And then when Hillsborough came along, I kind of felt, right, here is my big spur. There is going to be uh, a public appetite for this subject now. And, you know, my style is kind of warts and all um, would do, you know, if it was mm. to sort of do a candy box style coverage of, of quite dark times, that, that wouldn't work. And, and also... You know, I didn't see the game as a kind of lost cause and, as I say, grey and depressing. I really loved it. And, and you know, my mum and dad and brother had worked for years and generations before in the game, not not professionally, but perhaps that's the point. That You know, they're given quite a lot of their lives to football. And I hated seeing it sort of, um, yeah, besmirched, really. So I knew someone would grab hold of it, um, as has happened, marketing men, etc., but, you know, I kind of wanted to do my bit. And that was the spur. Hillsborough kicked me up the backside, said, here's your subject, go forth and get it. Mm. And, 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 and you are, with the book, obviously, you have, you have your co-collaborator, John Williams, is, is on board. And there's obviously uh, an inter, you know, interviews between yourselves before, before the photographs and stuff. I mean, was, how, how did your friendship with John actually start? Well, this is amazing, and, and everything I've done wouldn't have happened without John, and so it is so, it is so opportune and so perfect to, to be working with him on this, 
and doing some talks next summer, literary engagements, you know, like you sort of see these posh people do. Well, it's going to be me and John, you know, talking about football at, at Latitude and Stoke Newington and, and festivals. So I'm really excited about that. I think Gary Lineker might be introducing us in one of them. So really nice stuff. But, you know, we've kind of worked, we've shone on the boards to get to where we are. In 1990, really early on, like within a couple of months of me starting all this, uh, I can't remember who contacted contacted who but i landed going up to see john at, at leicester thinking if anyone understands what i'm doing it might be this guy who who i'd never met who kind of deals with um the image of football and he does a lot on football hooliganism doesn't mean to say likes it but that's his speciality and attendances and all this stuff so i went to see him and he kind of just went quite quiet and went oh my god and i said oh what's, what's the matter thinking perhaps you know i hadn't hit the mark and he said the opposite he said uh wow you know there's about to be a lot of money put into football but you straight away tackled it from the human side you know the football trust and all these bodies that i've known for a few years the predecessors are concerned with pumping money in but they're kind of run by fantastic bureaucrats you know um civil servants they kind of probably don't really look at it quite at this level they sit in the stand you're kind of going around outside of that anyway it's wonderful stuff go and see them and see if you can you know get any sort of commission off them which is what i did and they were wonderful and they said yep all the things john had said and we'll give you some money not a lot but some to to help you on your way and you give us the photos and we use them and that collaboration went on for 15 years it only came to an end just because of my geography and i you know it became more about check presentations and things and i didn't quite see that as myself so I kind of carried on with the spirit of that, but but independently, which has been wonderful. I've had you know pats on the back from the much um, uh, I wouldn't say malign but criticised Gordon Taylors and Richard Scudamore's of this world, you know, who are at the high end, and all the other football authorities along the way, you know, unanimously. Um, they don't all invite me to parties and to the house, but you know, at one time or other, they've all said yeah, what this guy does is valuable. You know, it's good for football and stood up for me so i appreciate that but i've I've managed to keep an independence about me anyway when um when i came to doing yet yet another book and i think this is about one tenth of football and i could trot out all the wonderful pictures and probably please people Mm. i thought i need to kind of um say what it is i'm doing i know it sounds weird but (laughs) i feel like i need to be challenged a bit here and so i turned to john and said john 30 years ago, 29 years ago, we should have done this book, but let's do it now. And so he agreed and, and you know, a year uh, to get those 20 chapters just mm. sort of schooled down to what they are. The, fit, the photos are much easier because that's mm. what I do day in, day out. Mm. And I love the book, you know, so like you, I'm a fan of it and I've already bought a copy for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, when, when you were traveling the length and breadth of the country taking these photographs and stuff could you tell it was the one particular common theme that you think stood out at all of the grounds you visited whether it was top division one division four non-league there was yeah there was there was there is um no there was because it isn't like that now i have to say they were all haunted and it doesn't haunted you know go people run from ghosts i'm not a ghost chaser but i kind of take it in the middle somewhere i kind of like it slightly freaked out by it so i I went to grounds like bolton i've mentioned and Mm. burnley and all those and there was like a shudder down my spine and this is non-match days match days i was going as much as possible the secretary just let me in and let let me roam absolutely all over until i was you know had enough 
and I got to meet the groundsmen and went in cupboards and all sorts of stuff. It was fantastic. But I kind of felt they were all, practically, Bloomfield Roads of this world were haunted um, kind of by um, all the people who'd ever been to matches, which I kind of quite liked. So you didn't have to actually have a packed ground. You could go to a ground with nobody there and you sort of imagine your grandfathers and yeah. others and people having been on this same spot because you know this was the point in 1990 most of the grounds were really the same as they were kind of in 1900 you know roughly um when when we sort of flickered into color and sorry moving film and the kind of modern era interspersed by two wars so um, the feeling was when I went around all these grounds, wow, this is, uh, I've, I've done the right thing here. You know, I'm going to catch them all before they change. They must change. You know, they won't be haunted forever. And um, it's, it's both a positive and slightly scary feeling, you know, all of them. Mm. I mean, I don't want to talk about obviously every individual picture of the book because yeah, people should go out and buy the book and enjoy it for themselves. I mean, what the, but one of the pictures that, 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 that really grabbed my attention at the exhibition and in the book is the one that you took in 1990 at Doncaster, which has got the hop, the crack in the, in, yeah. in, in, the in the fence. I, I just wanted to you just to explain to the listeners uh, just a little bit more about that particular uh, by that particular photograph. Why do you think it's so evocative, really? Well, you know, there's this famously there's this 92 club or whatever it is. Um, at that time, there was 92 clubs in the football league, and people say to me, "Oh, you're trying to join the 90." I kind of thought, "No, I'm not really out of that. I probably will because I, I will do all 92 clubs." But I wanted to do well beyond the 92. I wanted to do Barrow clubs that had been in the league, clubs that wanted to be in the league. It was all about the league to me. I have to say, mm. the kind of league was the central thing. And we're all talking, listeners, to <laughs> about the pre-Premier League time. At that point, it was only a rumour. It hadn't happened. It wasn't formulated. So, you know, the Football League was the thing, and it dated right back to 1888. So it kind of went back to all of football history. Um, so that picture at Doncaster, a crack at Bellevue, people said to me, they kept saying to me, have you been to such and such? I said, well, not yet. I'm, I'm going to get there, hopefully. They'd say, you should go to Donny Rose. It is the... <laughs> bleep 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 the worst ground and it's no wonder they're kind of bottom for the umpteenth season of division four it is an absolute hole and so i went there on a kind of semi-miserable day and you know i i kind of went around the perimeter i could have gone in but i kind of do this i i i go round and round things and then i start kind of poking you know poking my nose in a bit more so um i think probably to be truthful uh, the sector or whoever hadn't turned up then so I was probably a bit early so I was roaming around a bit more anyway I saw this quite literally crack in the gate this old battered red gate and I could see through it a strip of green and the mm. green is the magical thing that every club has in common you know okay mm. some of them aren't particularly green in those days they were a little <laughs> bit brown and, <laughs> and weathered and things but you know, however majestic the surrounds, in the middle is a pitch that is roughly of a certain size, and that's what would be played on big team, small team, cup game. You know, that's where it's all played out. So that's always the sort of centre of my attention, mm. although people think I, I'm a kind of crowd person. Anyway, so I kind of started looking through the crowd, but then I thought, actually, this gate itself, you know, people telling me this, is a, uh, this, this was the worst ground, in a way it symbolised football's passage in the last 20 years of decline and decrepitude and i would see more of this so i kind of took the picture i maybe used 
waited for the sun or used a flash gun just to kind of get the red to come up. And, you know, every picture I've taken, all those you saw in the show, there's been no tampering with them. You know, even there's a couple where they're slightly ghostly and there's people moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so simple. The the one at Wigan is so simple the way I took it, and that was that was the belief. I would take every picture, not tamper with it. They would all be every single one landscape format, and I would st- I'd use the same film camera. And just out of shot is that camera. It's over there on a tripod. It, I've still got it. I'd still use it. And you know, there it is. If if we kind of do a, a top fifty five, which I tried to do uh, the Manchester show you speak of, it's number two or three or four or something you know mm. and it just shows and it's ahead of and you know it's only what i think and maybe what a few other people think and i sort of think yeah that's probably the second or third or fourth best picture mm. it's kind of done like that mm. but it's the idea with everything i've done with the homes of football and now the game is um not trying to bring everything dumb them down to the same level but to kind of say that Every every dog can have its day. Every every person, every club, to me, uh, maybe it isn't true of most people, is kind of got an equal value. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, and also again, going back to your exhibition and having a look at the at the video and things, just again, a typical day when you were out in the field taking these photographs. I mean, this these were long, long days, weren't they? I mean, if you can just you know, again, for the listeners who haven't. Yeah possibly been to Manchester uh, just to explain a typical a typical day because you were there before anyone else and you were the last to leave as well at the end of the at the end of the game I had endless energy I think I still have but I have to, I have to you know I've got a daughter I've got things other things to do mm. and, and I have to look at my age and think you know I'm 50 something um, not 30 or 20 mm. as I claim to be but those days the days were long you know um, if I started the majority of this home to football in this March. I remember March the first. I went to Watford, back to Watford, the uh, Leeds, my, my the club that I grew up with, and thought, mm. well, kind of, I'll start it here. I'd already started it, to be honest, the the, the autumn before at Clydebank and uh, some odd places. But but I kind of thought very concertedly this would be almost a daily thing, not even a weekly thing. Like with a match, I would go every day to some ground. I was going to about eight grounds a day. You know, yeah. I mean there wasn't enough hours in the day there wasn't enough well there were enough clubs but I you know I was just obsessed by it and I kind of have been ever since really with those photos with with the whole of the football spectacle with its value you know isn't I'm trying to get out of doing the washing up or something else like it's because I actually really value ahead of everything else you know church gatherings have diminished uh, the shopping brings people together pop concerts but but what else does you know football Mm. does and mostly the values I find are good you know they're challenging they're they're not perfect there's a lot of swearing and all that stuff but but much more good than bad and and something that you know especially at this strange time of of the last two and a half years that we're living through it's Mm. still something where irrespective of whatever was voted and whatever team someone's voted for i'd still embrace them and jump up and down with them at football match you know (laughs) that's what that's what it does so the days were long um i didn't have exactly like a piece of paper saying well you do this you do that you do that but generally it was the same like a sheepdog i would walk around and around the ground or even the town and then I would sort of venture in and then if there was a match on I would go to the match and even then I would often watch the crowd for um, the first half uh, and some of the match at the second and the last 10 minutes where I know kind of what those crowd where they stand who they are kind of the way they behave I would then 
you know, usually a lot happens in the last 10 minutes, I would sort of then focus on those people. Mm. And it's kind of that simple. You know, I didn't do that much after the game because I was usually emotionally spent, you know. I, I, like lots of people, you know, you see a team win 6-0 and the, you mm. look at the fans and they just look like quite miserable. They're just walking home. <laughs> They're not all like dancing in the streets and partying. Mm. Um, and it is because most of the emotional investment is during the game, before the game, the whole week leading up to it. And, it, and you know, two, two hours after getting home, you recover that and you start gloating about your achievement, of, you know, of your team. Mm-hmm. Or in my case, I start thinking, wow, actually, I did pretty good today. But, you know, at the end of a match or a day's shoot, I'd probably just plod off somewhere, get you know, quite exhausted. And then... Um, very quickly to wrap up this kind of wonderful process because I call it that is that and it isn't a criticism but today my daughter's generation have got digital so they even look at it as they take it and Mm. delete it and keep it and they have thousands to look through whatever whatever whatever. I was always and still do take them on film and I I would ever more ever more I limit myself like I say sometimes right you can only take 30 in the whole of today Mm. and it means that most of them are good uh, and and that sometimes I've only got one shot at at taking it Um, you know maybe it costs a quid each time you press it but it's more about the discipline so I would then wait for the postman or um, the lab to in these days they scan them and send me the back Mm. but in those days I didn't have that the postman would turn up with my film three days later and you know boy was I excited sometimes nervous that I wouldn't have captured you know the the, the kind of ghostliness of Bolton Wonders <laughs> and, and and what about the thousands and thousands of snaps that that obviously haven't made the final cut in this book have you, well, have you, got, have you got any plan have you got any plans for any of those my wife is really really first, keen to know this as well <laughs> firstly they're not snaps there we go so uh, considered pictures and uh, I sometimes think when a Hockney painting is worth 80 million puts it way beyond I mean 80 times or maybe more than that the value of my entire collection of 30 years and I think oh is that right it doesn't matter too much it's just a point but I kind of don't see myself as a painter who's frustrated so I'm taking photos I am a photographer you do produce many you're not out to produce one painting every day or a week or something it's a different thing it is kind of allied to journalism and snapshots as you said and family albums I get all of that but I do really kind of value these pictures and so I think that's partly why I like taking them um, on film um, just remind me again of the question which was just what have you had any plans for, for, for oh, yeah, to, to use any of these other are we going to have the game part two and part three are we going to have a sort of yeah. a trilogy are we going to go have a huge series a whole series of these books with all the, with well, the photographs in there it's a great question because you know you mentioned the show that you came to see but there's been a bit of a gap in fact back to the last show at the National Football Museum in 2012 mm. and then before that um, I had a permanent gallery in, in Ambleside the Lake District which you know kind of made sense and we got mm. the visitors but it was it was kind of an odd choice for some people to have it there <laughs> and in in for many of the years of the 1990s and 2000s I had a tour of, of shows and it actually reached nearly 100 and these were you know there's a lot of work as well as all that photography going around the grounds is that to arrange this with museums like uh, Mansfield or Warrington or Edinburgh or you know big 
big museums, little museums. It was, it was a lot of effort, and I enjoyed it immensely and don't regret that at all. So I had endless, seemingly an endless Bob Dylan-type tour. <laughs> I did pull it off the road, and, you know, it was only this big show at Manchester's on for one year, and I've also got satellite shows at Huddersfield and Burnley, mm. where I said, you know, I'm doing this on purpose. It's kind of got to be big and long because I don't intend to just now do endless shows. I think... It, you know, I'm going to get to the answer about what to do with all these photos, but, but one of them is about, like, you know, should I endlessly tour it? Should I produce endless amounts of books and mm-hmm. have someone doing it beyond my life if, if, if that, you know, happens, my daughter or someone, whoever? Um, and, you know, how, how do, what do I do with such a vast collection that has taken me um, 30 years to put together? You know, I don't want to just wrap it up and say, that's it, it's done, or sell it off, which I won't do. So I think the outcome is, and I have to be careful because it could still not happen, is um, I might have another permanent sort of gallery at Nottingham, which is a city near to me, Mm -hmm. big big on football history, lovely city, lots of reasons to have it there. And, you know, I can go some of the week there and look over these photos and think, right, let's bring a few more to the fore, which, uh, you know, have never been seen or whatever, as well as some of the old hits. Mm. And maybe I'll still do some tours. You know, I've never really done abroad much, you know, maybe Mm. Portugal and something. But Germany, Holland, um, particularly, and a bit of the US and now a bit of France, I'd say nobody else much, but they're interested in what I do, you know, mm. in terms of a country. And so I've kind of got five or so markets for a start, even if no one ever else ever took any interest, uh, which is a lot of people, and, you know, that could keep me busy. And, um, you know, it's wonderful that we've got, as we're doing now, podcasts, social media, mm. talks, and, you know, books. I love books. There's mm. nothing quite like having a book that you, mm. uh, I have to say, carefully kind of go to bed with. You kind of nestle it in your arms. It's an intimate thing. Mm. So I think I'll always judge some of my work by, you know, what book can I produce? Excellent. It's, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. And I want to ask you a question that we ask all our guests that come on here. And, and, it's, and it's one you probably w- w- would have expected to be asked anyway. Is, is watching football today compared to 28 years ago, that's a season that we're featuring. I mean, what, what do you miss most about football as it was, let's say, back in 1990 as opposed to the modern day yeah. game? Well, I learned something along the way very early on, which was about missing anything. Uh, mm. It could be about missing someone. It could be about missing a goal or a picture. Is that if the, the time you spend missing it, you're going to miss something else, you know, because there's always things happening. So don't ever think that's how. So when I had the picture of the dog, uh, FC United, mm. leaning over the barrier, which is in that show, and it mm. was the cover of my previous book, people said, whoa, how did you get that? I actually admit that, I didn't at first. The dog got down and I'd scratch my head thinking, oh no, what a shot that would have. And then I suddenly kicked in and thought, hold on, creatures of habit we are, it will do it again. So the dog got up, I got my photo. So there we go. So going back to the question about what do I miss, in a way I don't miss anything. You know, the only person I miss, um, you know, uh, there's lots of people who died like Tom Finney who I love and admired, but it's Graham Taylor because I felt that we should have done 
a series a bit like Road Trip or something where we went round, him and me in an old banger and went to <laughs> all different levels. Now, this wasn't pie in the sky thought. He did a video for when I got married. You know, I, I was the first person to ever to meet him when he came to Watford. There's great reason for that. That could have happened. Mm. It didn't. So I am a little bit sad about that. But generally, I don't regret anything. I don't think I missed anything. But football itself must look at itself and say, what has gone? You know, what have we lost? that has taken over now and you know very quickly I don't know there's not a definitive list it's only my opinion but the obvious one to people and you mentioned it at the start is that terraces uh, would go and that was for, for firstly for safety reasons and secondly for marketing reasons that you know suddenly worked out that if they had everybody sat in shiny seats they could pay them a bit sorry ask them for a bit more of a premium to sit there you know mm. and kind of know how many are in the ground and all that sort of stuff so at the big clubs and this is generally anybody who's in the football league is yeah it's basically above all a sitting experience with a bit of standing here and there when you go to the likes of barrow which keep you know keep have aspirations to get back in the league but they they haven't and and they don't have to make the ground changes you know you can one can do the wonderful thing of changing ends at half time like yeah. the team does and that is wonderful so some people who have gone off the experience of arsenal manu man city and uh, what it's like maybe difficult in getting tickets have, have sort of relegated themselves but they haven't really to some of these clubs they've they've made going to you know see Alching or, or somebody or FC United as, as their kind of weekly thing and, and they enjoy that as much and they probably still support the big team um, and then there's lots of other people who have bought up those seats you know people from afar you go mm. to any match Premier League and there's Norwegians Japanese all sorts of people it's fascinating um, so we've lost kind of a game that was on the terraces that was basically 99.9% recurring English people or Scottish people or you know British people whatever going to it mostly who supported that team and weren't sort of doing a tourist thing and um, and, and you know what reared up by 1993-45 those three years particularly was shiny new stadium stands and everything with the football trust chipping in Mm. and people like me and John kind of having some little bit of influence in all that you know that this these you're making these for people don't forget you know you're not just making the shiniest stands and charging the biggest it's all for people we kind of kept having to make that point um so what else has changed I think it's the you know the, the game is more it is more kind of corporate it's more um about TV, kickoff times, they're staggered. You know, the games don't kick off at the same time. There's matches all over the shop. It's like, mm. sometimes it's like debris on the track almost. It, it's too chaotic, you know, mm. it's too chaotic for words, I think. But somehow the football attendances have gone up and up. The um, support for our game in Britain, at least, is, is still on the up, you know, if, if only by money and kind of accumulated attendances so um in a way i'm still in love with the game it doesn't mm. look completely different game if i go to barrow i have to think you know this i could be in 1990 it really mm. isn't that much different you know mm. it really is even some of the fashions and things mm. so um i'm still in love with it but if i had to pay every week and i've been supportive of just a club uh, I think I would have gone off it. I would have fallen out of love with it, reinvented my love, I'd done this, done that. 
But because I have this lovely roving role where I go to Doncaster, Manchester United, you know, Scotland, wherever, week in, week out, and kind of keep it, keep it real, keep it interesting, keep it different, uh, you know, the love's still there. Excellent. And, and, and I just wanted to ask you just a final question, really. And it's something I, I, I associate with myself. It, it's always, whenever I smell cigar smoke, for instance, I always, I'm always transported back to the time when I first started going to football with my dad. Um, but when I lived in, well, I'm from Chesterfield originally, so the old yeah. salty day ground. And, and um, I just wondered if, if there's ever a smell that you sometimes catch a waft of and immediately you're transported back to, to, to a time when yeah. you were, when you were going to football, I just wonder if there's anything that, 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 that does transport you back when you get the smell of it. No, that's, that's a really good point. Um, Linneman, you know, means I'm probably in the <laughs> players' area, and maybe yeah. you know that isn't really the the, the, the most of my experience. I, I I can go there, but I don't really want to. I kind of feel like, oh, you know, there's a bit that's got to be a bit private. So the Linneman smell means I'm getting a bit too close to the epicenter. Uh, the Octo Bov rule, um, and I dare I say it slightly yeah. at and slightly stale smell. Is, yeah, because <laughs> the grounds only used you know, every two weeks or something and so there's the, sometimes it's it, you know it, it doesn't smell exactly perfectly to be honest there's things that have kind of festered there for a couple of weeks i think it's i think it's the smell of other people um, i don't know what that smell is but it's but you kind of know it it's just being and, and sometimes you know uh, a lot of people that have got a bit damp on the way there got wet and then you know they sit through a game and there's that sort of heat coming off them and stuff mm. Very hard to say, you know, if you said cigar smoke, everyone kind of knows it's kind of that smell. But a bit hard to say what I'm saying, but I think that's it, really. It's the waft of people. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break from the football chat now because we're going to go over to, to Mark, who is going to do a rundown of the kind of things that we were that yep. we were watching on TV back in 1990 and some of the stuff that was in the, uh, in, in the, in the, top, in the top 30. So uh, over to you, Mark. Well, we'll start off with what was uh, happening in English football uh, in Nova November 1991. Uh, and as you mentioned at the start, Steve, uh, Howard Kendall, um, who'd not long been back from Spain with his uh, time in uh, Athletic Bilbao, um, left Manchester City to return to his spiritual home at Everton, while his former midfield general at Goodison, Peter Reid, uh, took over the reins at Main Road in a player-manager role. Um, Manchester United and Arsenal were finally handed down their punishment for the Battle of Old Trafford in October, which we discussed, of course, at length in our in our last podcast. Um, the Gunners had two points taken away from them, while United were docked just one. In the, the League Cup, which was called the Rumbelows Cup that year, the pair met again in a scintillating tie at Highbury. Um, United's 6-2 victory was inspired by a hat-trick performance by winger Lee Sharp, who was fast becoming the rising star of uh, English football. Although his time as the brightest prospect in the country was, uh, on, he was already on borrowed time in that respect, uh, because the very next day after that game, uh, Alex Ferguson offered a young Welsh lad by the name of Ryan Giggs his first professional contract on his 17th birthday. Um, whatever happened to him, eh? Um, Liverpool ended the month at the top of the first division. They were still unbeaten, um, with Arsenal in, in hot pursuit, uh, and Sheffield United was still winless down at the bottom. The big uh, news in the UK in November 1990 was the resignation of Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher after she was defeated in the Conservative Party leadership election, bringing down the curtain on uh, tumultuous and often controversial 11 years in charge of the country. Um, 
from a personal point of view, it was such a big deal. I remember my CDT teacher, Mr. Clack, breaking into his abstention from actually teaching us or doing any work uh, to, to announce it to everybody to to quite a lot of gasps and cheers. Um, the, the pop charts were dominated by songs from movies that were either doing well at the box office or they'd been broadcast on TV for the first time. Um, Take My Breath Away by Berlin, which was from Top Gun, and uh, Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers, which uh, came from Ghost, were both riding high. Indeed, the Righteous Brothers occupied the, the number one slot for virtually the whole month before being knocked off the uh, top by a certain Robert Van Winkle aka Vanilla Ice with uh, his classic tune Ice Ice Baby um, the other highlight on TV on the night of that famous Arsenal Manchester United uh, League Cup game was on BBC One Blackadder goes forth probably the best of the four series of that classic comedy um, with Rowan Atkinson as the wretched cad captain Edmund Blackadder uh, cooked up another cunning plan to extricate himself from the trenches at the Western Front during World War One in France uh, in the episode Major Star, he and his bumbling subordinates, Private Baldrick and Lieutenant George, organise a concert party, despite having little enthusiasm or talent amongst the ranks. <laughs> sir! Sir! There's a visitor to see you! Good Lord, Mr Chaplin! This is indeed an honour! Why, of course, for some sort of celebration! Baldrick! Baldrick! <laughs> sir, that is extraordinary, because... This isn't Chaplin at all. This is Baldrick. Yes, it's me, sir. <laughs> I know, I know. I was, in fact, being sarcastic. Oh, I see. So, Stuart, any anything there? Ring any bells with you? Every anything anything there sort of still you remember? Yes, I bought that or I was watching that. Everything. I don't want to sound like one of these guys who claims he's done everything and quite everything. But the the other subject that you know is dear to me, uh, apart from football, and I talked about gatherings, is pop festivals mm. and, and pop culture. So I kind of have lived my life very much like what was in the charts at the time. I've got a big gig here in Louth on New Year's Eve where, you know, it's all about that, really, counting down the decades, what was happening when, the last hundred years. So I'm, I'm mad on it. You know, I love this thing you're doing, actually. It's right way on my street, you know, this, this mixture of remembering music, news. Um, Thatcher, the departure of Thatcher, let's not make any comment about her, but just her departure did bring on the sort of Tony Blair years, which um, kind of were synonymous with people doing up its act. I'm not giving him all the thanks or blame or whatever for it. I'm just saying it was that sort of era. So there's lots there. Um, Black Adder too. Tony Robinson very quickly came to one of my shows at Bristol. Well, the point was we asked him if he could come and open a show. He was a mm. bit of a football fan. His agent gave some... It, a humongous amount of money, 3,000 quid, 6,000 quid to come. And we just, oh, sorry, no, no way, you know, blah, 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 left it at that. Anyway, Tony turned up of his own accord and did it for nothing. You know, he was a wonderful guy, Tony Robinson, uh, Blackadder. Um, that series, as uh, you know, as has been remembered last weekend or whenever it was. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. It, you know, it could, it, it's almost as cutting as it can be, uh, whatever it is, all these 20 years, 30, 30 years on. Mm. Yeah, so all the stuff you mentioned, every single thing, vanilla ice, ice, uh, you know, everything I remember. Excellent. Okay, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, yes. uh, the, 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 I, and John, John, 
John's got a jukebox in his foyer. I mean, you, you know, what you're doing is so us. You know, we'd join you if we could. Yeah, Absolutely. That would be, you're more than welcome to come on another podcast for sure. Maybe, you can, maybe you can take the podcast out live to one of your exhibitions and we'll do a, uh, we'll, oh. we'll organise something there. That's something for another day. But, yeah. but the game by Stuart Roy Clark and John Williams is now available in hardback. And if yep. you want a little taster of what to expect, then go on Twitter and follow them at Homes of Football. The exhibition, as I've mentioned several times in this podcast, or we mentioned several times in this podcast, is currently showing at the National Football Museum in Manchester, and it's on until March 2019. I urge you to go there if you're in the area or you get a chance to go to Manchester. It's well I, worth visit. But in and Huddersfield, because they're feeling a bit left out. Huddersfield is being extended by a month till February the 3rd and it's a great show and the one at Burnley is on till March and that's in the exact same spot with the same frames and the same pictures in a lot of the cases that I displayed in in the same period in 1991 my very first show so I did that deliberately so sorry to interrupt but those shows are worth it too excellent you heard it you heard it from the man himself excellent okay that's all for this month but we will be back before christmas when we'll be looking back at december 1990 of course it's a special thank you yet again to stuart and we're going to leave you with one of the biggest selling singles of november 1990 so until next time from mark and myself it's a goodbye goodbye yo vip And listen, I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and watch a chump like a candle. Dance, caress a speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous.